Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, Victory Monday felt good. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday. People listen to this uh, Wednesday and, and onward. Uh, now time to start to look ahead again to Detroit. Uh, but before we do that, we really got to kind of contextualize what we saw on Sunday. So that is kind of what this midweek pod will be is a look back. We've had a chance to go through the film uh, and then kind of our takeaways and then what that means moving forward. So I'm excited to dive into this. Let's start with the offense. And I uh, I went through and charted uh, for the show on Monday. I charted the personnel groupings uh, and, and run pass and everything for the first two drives, first three drives, actually. Uh, for the commanders and to see how Scott Turner mixed and matched personnel. It felt like he was doing it a lot during the game, but man, when you look at this like in a chart form or, you know, you're looking at it on film as you try to go, you know, even if you're playing like guess the play call, what are they going to do here? I, I think that upon further review, Scott Turner may have even done a better job than I thought he did when we talked on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, I think he did an outstanding job of, uh, you know, you mentioned the personnel thing. That's something that I think was obvious on the day, but also just kind of getting to some different formations, especially early. I mean, they were kind of doing some really innovative stuff in, in terms of personnel, in terms of formation, in terms of route concepts out of certain formations. So, yeah, like hats off to him. You know, um, one of the plays that sticks out to me was the first third down they had, and they get in that kind of like diamond four-man bunch. Um and it was, uh, you know, you don't see that formation a ton. And then the concept you run out of it, I thought was very, very smart, kind of understanding how the defense has to match a four-by-one, just giving Carson answers. I mean, it's a concept you normally run out of a three-by-one, but the fact it's out of a four-by-one, it just gives you some more flexibility in terms of, like, you know, the guy that the, – the, the inside most person runs, like, a shallow cross holding the middle linebacker. The second guy runs a big box fade. The third guy runs, like, an arches route, which is where the ball probably should go. And, you know, that's the route that, um, you know, Carolina completed on Danny Johnson for a first down that everyone was talking about for a while. And then mm -hmm. usually the play is dead because you have to get to a comeback on the outside if, if they cover the arches. But the way they did it, they had Curtis Sammy run like an out return, which is great. So it's just really easy for Carson to kind of – and that's just being a savvy offensive coordinator – you know, using personnel to kind of make easy throws and easy reads and easy decisions for Carson and get the ball in a playmaker's hands and let him kind of do some work after the catch. So I think um, like that's one example. Another example that sticks out to me on the first drive is when you 
we've talked about having multiple backs in the backfield at the same time. So you get Jonathan Williams, you get Antonio Gibson in the backfield together, and it's two by one to the left. It's two by it's it's a two receiver side to the left, one receiver to the right, and that split back formation with that receiver alignment really kind of puts you in a weird spot. So you know they do the play fake to Jonathan Williams, and then Gibson runs a corner to the single mm-hmm. receiver side from across the formation. And again, you lose people in those types of counts. And for him to show up and be able to make that play again, it's just a good play design because it kind of messes with defenses' rules. It's something that. Detroit's going to have to prep for. And again, we haven't even gotten on the first drive yet. And we've talked about two really outstanding kind of unique plays. And then even the first play of the game, which I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling now. You get no, in 12. I mean, it's all good stuff. You get in 12 personnel and then right. fans don't like, they don't even think about it, but you dictate a base defensive response by the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? So three interior guys, four linebackers, two of those linebackers are rush players. You get the safety close to the line of scrimmage, and then you run a pylon route by Terry, which is like a deep post, deep uh, corner essentially, and then a corner by Jahan with a flat control, and you get a high low on the on the safety who's buzzing from the line of scrimmage because he's playing run first. And again, like throwing on first down, taking a shot on first down, protection's good. That's forward thinking stuff now, you know. And if you look at their first down plays, like I charted, I think the whole game, they weren't super effective on first down. But what I did like from uh, from Scott Turner is that he did do a lot of like shot plays kind of, I don't want to say gimmicky plays, but things that were designed to kind of get big chunks. Cause you then know that you have second and third down to make a play. Right. And so then, right. Then by extension, he did a really good job on second down of saying, Oh, here, we're going to call an RPO, get the ball to Curtis Samuel in the flat Curtis, excellent job making somebody miss. Now we're in a third and two and our playbooks wide open. So in terms of staying on schedule, utilizing that shot potential of first down like that stuff's pretty high level man like it's it's good forward thinking football it's it's master's level if not phd level stuff i mean you know the second you mentioned that you know coming out in 12 passing and you know we there's kind of two elements to that right there's one the unpredictability of like typically when you run bigger personnel it's like oh they're gonna run the football oh wow they're passing but eventually if you do that with regularity teams are gonna be prepared for it but you that means you have favorable matchups too because you either you have to make a decision as a defense do we match personnel and then put ourselves at a disadvantage because we think that they're trying to trick us which then you just get to the line of scrimmage you can the play and it's like oh well they didn't match personnel we got our big fellas in they don't let's run it uh and then you just run it down their throats or you know you do match the personnel and you try your best but you're at a a personnel disadvantage so like it is a winning formula to do that kind of stuff, to go big and pass out of it, to go small and run out of it, even if they know it's coming because you have advantages personnel-wise with how versatile this group of skill position players you have is. The other thing that really stood out to me is, like, if you look at their second drive, their first one, two, three, four, five, six plays, really, if you want to go all the way down to seven, eight, nine plays, are all out of 11 except for one play, which is out of 10 personnel. On the 10 personnel play, one running back, no tight ends, they run it. And, yeah. and those 11 personnel groupings never look the same. You've even got a situation where you got Curtis Samuel in the backfield and J.D. McKissick at receiver. So you're moving, and it, it's different receivers, it's different tight ends. Sometimes it's Thomas, sometimes it's Bates. 
you know, they're lined up in line. They're lined up in the slot. They're lined up outside. You have different stacks. You have different bunches. It's three by ones. It's two by twos. The splits are different. So even at times where you have the same personnel in the game, you're showing different looks out of it. And the way they were able to mix and match that, I, I guess my big like question is like, is that sustainable? I don't see why they can't do that every week. Do you think they will? I think it's, it is, yeah, it is sustainable. I think when you watch like Kyle or Andy Reid or, you know, Sean McVay, any of those guys, they do a really good job of, of staying innovative, right? Staying on the edge. I think the problem, the only problem I foresee is that it is fatiguing mentally for the coordinator and for the offensive staff. Every week you got to come up and kind of be, you know, forward thinking right you always got to be thinking outside the box you got to always be self-scouting you always got to be pushing the envelope in terms of your evaluation of yourself so like you know we mentioned the 12 personnel throwing the ball out of it that pays dividends down the road it's just about now as the coordinator when do i feel comfortable now calling a run out of 12 on first down because everyone's thinking we're passing right do i want to do install like check with me is like you're talking about hey we're in 12 let's call two plays that's kyle's big thing that's sean's big thing right is you're never in a bad position from a play call standpoint because the quarterback can get you the right thing or is that detrimental right so as much as you want to push the envelope from a formation standpoint push the off uh, envelope from like a innovation standpoint i think it's important just to kind of you know, you got to you got to walk that line, right? Because I like with Kyle, I would always think about he'd be pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and eventually we get to a week where it was just too much, too much mental load for the guys, and we'd kind of lay an egg, right? Because we just couldn't keep up, or he'd get too conservative, and we didn't have what we needed for the opponent, right? So I think that's where it gets challenging. Is you got to walk that razor's edge as Scott Turner of saying, "Hey, I want to stay innovative, I want to stay challenging for defenses." but also want to make sure we're still doing we, – we still are who we are, right? We still got the RPO stuff. We still got the screen game. We still got these concepts in, and I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel every single week. So it, it is tough, and I think I think it'll be interesting because we haven't seen this side of Scott Turner yet. And so, you know, this is one game. I'm very, very impressed with Scott and what he was doing, and, and now I feel like every week for him is a test about – can he be the same guy week two? Because I think he deserves a lot of credit. Like, you know, everyone's talking about how the team comes out and start starts slow. He said, hell no, we're not starting slow. We're going to come out and do some different stuff. And again, the playmakers deserve a ton of credit. But yeah, man, like, what is it going to look like versus Detroit? Can you keep that edge? Not having an extra week of prep. I think people forget about that, too. They had basically 14, 16 days of preparation for this game. Not to mention the entire to... summer before that. Absolutely. And so, like, where are you at now? with regards to, to to Detroit. And can you get that same level of production and innovation done in, in a normal work week? So the other question is about the opponent and how they handled it. As you watched yeah. the tape, what did you make of how Jacksonville adjusted throughout the game? Because it seemed like they really started to clamp down. They realized that the feature guy may not be Terry McLaurin. The feature right. guy in, in this particular game plan was Curtis Samuel, and Antonio Gibson had his role as well. And so I'm, I'm curious, kind of multi multi-part like observations here how were they using terry as the number one wide receiver because i'm sure he had a role in freeing up those other guys and it may have just been like hey we're gonna see how they cover this and terry might have a big day or they might really lock in on terry and that's gonna push it down to curtis and antonio and and obviously they were able to take advantage and then what kind of change in that that production lull in the middle of the game that jacksonville did uh, to to lock up those guys and, and and get a few drives in a row where they were able to keep the commanders from getting points. 
So what I will say is that Scott Turner and the commanders came out swinging from an offensive standpoint. I mean, like we just, like the plays we described all happened in the first 15 plays of the game. Like you could tell they scripted them. They felt good about them. You know, even the screen to Armani, like that's something that is a game plan play. Get Armani because he didn't play a ton after that. Get him in the game. He's, you know, we talked about his explosiveness on the, on the pregame show, get him a touch and it paid dividends. Right. So obviously game plan, all that stuff's game plan specific. I think what happened is a Jacksonville started tackling better. I'd say after like the third drive and it really slowed down the offense because there wasn't a lot of yak there. It was just kind of like we're tackled here. Now we have to kind of, they were so good early at breaking tackles. Some of the moves that Curtis makes, some of the moves that Antonio makes in space, JD had a one or two, they get those guys out in space and you you understand why it's so important to get those guys out in space. But if someone makes a tackle, like now you're, you're talking about a five yard gain instead of the 15 yarders you were getting earlier. Right. And I think also in addition to that, they started taking some negative plays, right? They started, you know, like they had a state, they tried to get the screen to Curtis before the interception and Trayvon Walker sniffs it out and you're in second and 11. And I know second and 11 isn't a big deal, but Again, it's a, it just it becomes a little bit more laborious to kind of get those first downs. And when those plays don't hit, that's when you get in those weird spots where you got to kind of like say, hey, we got to punt or we're, we're, we got to think a little bit more high level. And quite frankly, on the first and I think it was the second series or the first series, you know, they, they get, oh, it was after the reverse, which mm-hmm. was so open, by the way. Holy cow. If any of you have access to the film, go watch that. If Gibson makes that block, that might be uh, Jahan's like, you know, 50-yard touchdown, th- had three touchdowns on the day type of thing. It, it was I've never seen a reverse that open in the NFL. Great job by 41 making the play there. Anyway, so they're in second and 20, right? They run a little, like, pull concept, which is, like, Curtis sits down at five yards. Terry runs a dig behind him. They hit the pull. They get a nine-yard gain, right? So they're they're still in third, or third and 10, third and 11. They get yeah, was, uh, Jackson, yeah. Jacksonville to jump off sides, right? And then Which is big time play. from Carson, by the way. Like, gets Huge. it in that spot and gets it at the end of the game. Like, that's professional quarterbacking right there. Yeah, so then starting five, and then they convert, right? Later in the game, they had some penalties, and Jacksonville didn't bail them out, right, also. So they got some bailouts from Jacksonville. Jacksonville wasn't making as many plays. And then, and then the other things to kind of to culminate this thought, so in addition to the penalties being less by Jacksonville, Jacksonville making some more plays, tackling, you know, sniffing stuff out, that kind of thing. I felt like they just went back to 2021 commanders in terms of offense, right? They just went back to kind of generic play calls. Like, so all that unique stuff, like it kind of, you, you, they went out like in a boxing match. They just threw a whole bunch of haymakers. Jacksonville's on their heels. Jacksonville recovers. And then they kind of went back to more like we're jabbing. We're kind of picking our shots a little bit more. And it paid off big time, right? Because Carson Wentz can execute that kind of stuff, right? And I think that's something um, that was I thought was a little bit unique. So no, no more crazy game plan stuff. I mean, they did run a trap play with Curtis Samuel that went for 11 or 12 yards, or no, 15 yards. So again, that's a big play, kind of game plan specific to Curtis. But again, that's one play. And you know, in the conversation we just had, we talked about five plays on the opening series that they were kind of doing unique stuff. So a little shift there. I think that's part of it. But also, I think it helped everybody settle down. And they scored 14 points doing that. So you got to kind of keep that in mind as well. Yeah. So how reusable is some of that stuff, though? Like, if you can get someone early in a game on it, like, why can't you go back to it later? Why can't you run the screen for Armani again? Why can't you, you know, go back to that four-receiver bunch and 
Go ahead. Try to defend it again. And and chances are you'll defend it differently. But like there's good options on that play besides the one that you did the first time. And I, I think that's like an interesting NFL thing that you see a lot is you see these scripted first 15 and not that you can script an entire game. But like there's no reason you can't go back to the, the script because uh, you design those things specific to the opponent. The opponent's not going to change only so but only so much during the game. So why not go back to it? Yeah, so I think a couple things. One, you have to think about what Detroit's doing, and I haven't watched a ton of Detroit yet. So once we get that figured out, that's something we'll. Well, I meant even within the game, like it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so like what I'm saying is that like when you are self scouting, those are questions that need to be answered, right? So out of this diamond personnel, right? You know, you ran arches, which is what they ran on Sunday. Now against Detroit in the same game, what? How are they going to match arches, and what is a route concept that we can run? that breaks their response to the arches concept, right? And so that's kind of where you got to start stacking plays, using the formation to dictate a response by the defense that you know they're going to have to do, right? Oh, we ran arches? Oh, man, we're, we're killing them on arches? Now let's run all go special, right? So you run four verticals from that side, maybe a shallow cross or something like that to clear that space out, run an angle underneath, something like that, just kind of thinking outside or, or even the um, – or even the first play where they threw that play action, like you you knew you were going to get cover three on that. Like what's another cover three beater you have off of that same kind of, you know, two tight ends to the right, two receivers to the left um, personnel grouping, right? So that's where, to me, the self-scouting becomes so critical, right? Because it allows you not only in-game, but it allows you going into the next week or the week after that to stack plays on top of that and kind of put defenses in a blender because – they're anticipating something and you're saying, no, 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 no. We're going to do something different. Like the screen to Armani, I think is a great example. I think they could have come back to the screen to Armani, but they tried to run it with Curtis Samuels and they're not going to get the same response, right? Curtis Samuels is going to get a lot more attention when he tries to run that same screen as opposed to when Armani's going to run it. So I think that's something again, like they're like, oh, it worked really well with Armani. Let's see if we can get a bigger play with Curtis. Again, it doesn't work like that, right? Finding ways to get, this other guy, Armani touches, I think is a good idea because people don't account for him, right? He's just kind of an afterthought. So again, again, that's where good offensive coordinators and good critical thinking becomes so important for developing a game plan, not only within the context of a game, but in the context of the whole season, basically. Right. No, that makes sense. And like now, if Armani comes in, like teams are going to be like, hey, beware of that thing. So you got to use him in other ways so that you can right. hide it. So it's not a dead giveaway. And you get into some of that stuff too, you know. Uh, I don't. Did Diami play at all in I this don't game? Think so. I mean, I just went back and watched it for the second time this morning, and I didn't see him. But I'm sure there's yeah. like somebody who like keeps stats of who played. Yeah, I, I haven't seen snap counts yet. I need to go check. But like, you know, he's another guy that okay, you don't have any tape on him. Like early in the season, there's there's some things you can do when you haven't done a whole lot yet. Um, the question is, how do you recreate those opportunities later in the season? But that's something for later in the season. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
This boy isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. Speaking of defense, uh, what's your big takeaway upon further review of the commander's defense and how they performed on Sunday? I think it fell pretty much right in line with my expectation for the defense, um, which isn't like that it was great, but it wasn't bad. It was somewhere kind of in the middle, right? There was some penalties in the secondary. That's a point of emphasis. You're going to see that kind of throughout probably for the first five weeks of the season. Um, you know, William Jackson III, I think he fell down on a route. He got beat on a double move. Kendall Fuller got beat on a double move. And for me, like, you know, I've, I, people are messaging me saying, oh, like he played terrible. But I actually think he played physical. He had eight tackles or something like that, William Jackson III. He was tight in coverage outside of maybe one or two plays. I think you say I feel pretty good about that performance. Are there areas – and I guess the reason I bring that up is – he played pretty good, but there's two plays in there where if Trevor Lawrence isn't Trevor Lawrence, those are much bigger plays and maybe in lead and most likely lead to points, right? And same thing with Kendall Fuller, right? So um, I think, I, but I think that's part of defense in the NFL in 2022 is you can't win them all. And one of the things I really loved about this game specifically is how the defensive line showed up and was able to help and protect the secondary from some of those uh, issues that they were having. So I think that's something that really stood out to me. Montez Sweat, you know, he ended up with a sack, but he was dominant against Cam Robinson, which is something that we talked about. It was great to see him be that productive. Deron Payne, again, working those uh, interior TT stunts with John Allen, was able to get a whole bunch of pressure. Great job. You know, Casey Tuhill, James Smith-Williams guys were productive on their rushes. F.A. Obata had some productive rushes. So for them to cultivate that kind of pressure, and then props to Jack Del Rio as well, too, for developing a blitz, blitz packages that confused uh, Trevor Lawrence and led to free runners, all that stuff is good. So I think game plan was solid. I think the play was pretty solid. And I think, um, but I do think that against better teams, they probably would be exploited a little bit more. So I think maybe this is a good one to kind of start the season out, out with and they can learn and grow with some stuff and get in a better spot going into week two. Yeah, I think that you definitely walk away with a win in this game in part because of who you're playing. Like, I mean, that's true any week. So it's not like, you know, wow, analysis yeah, yeah. there. But, yeah. you know, it is the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, you got lucky because Trevor Lawrence missed a touchdown and Travis Etienne dropped another one. And, you know, maybe yeah. some things that, that you don't get away with against better teams. And like, you know, is that better team, the chiefs? Definitely. Is that better team, the lions? Like maybe, you know, how much better does the team have to be than what Jacksonville and this very young state that the Jaguars are in? Like how much better does that team have to be before you don't get away with those things? I think that's, that's kind of the TBD of this season where you have the much weaker schedule. Um, Things that I liked from the defense would definitely include the blitz package. I love using Jamie yeah. Davis as a blitzer. I thought he was really effective in certain spots. Even if he didn't always get home, he got home on the one time and they, they wound up calling it back. Pensy, um, yeah. But he, there's a couple other plays where Lawrence rushes throws and you you watch it back and you're like, oh, 52 is in the backfield right in his grill. That, that makes a lot of sense. I think Benjamin St. Juice had a 
great day as a blitzer. I know Jackson yeah. came at least twice off the corner. Like, would you make overall the blitz package uh, and and their ability to even if when even if they're not always going to get home to affect Lawrence in a way that that ultimately helps them put up a winning performance. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the perfect iteration or perfect example of, of why it's significant is in the red zone. You know, Trevor Lawrence uh, has uh, Zay Jones on a corner route to Fuller, and he's open. He sees it, and he just has to kind of move his front, his plant foot out a little bit and kind of fall away from a throw because Benjamin St. Juice is about to blow him up. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. it's just a subtle effect, but the ball is maybe three inches too far, too high. And Zay Jones drops like pass. Jones drive, dives forward and Fuller kind of falls on top of him. Yeah, it was like in the corner, the left corner of the yeah. end zone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think like that's the perfect example, right? Or, or, or I think another great example is, um, you know, on the double move where uh, William Jackson third gets beat, Montez Sweat hits uh, Lawrence's arm, and it doesn't really affect the spiral, but it definitely affects the trajectory. And so you see plays like that, and you're like that's where the pressure that's where the blitz is that's where the rush philosophy really pays dividends and that happened multiple times in this game right and you know you hear tana you hear smoot you hear um you know sean springs these guys that played defensive back london fletcher uh, he's like you know what makes good coverage and the, the emphatic answer from those guys is good rushes now that's a little bit of an oversimplification because rush rush does affect coverage but i think in this game the rush definitely impacted the coverage in a positive way. Like there was a whole bunch of times where, you know, Lawrence is stepping up. He doesn't see his first read right away, right away. And he's moving to his second read. And it's not like his process was slow and he gets smoked. You know what I mean? Like hard hit as he's releasing the football and that paid dividends down the road. Cause there were other times where he steps up, there's good pocket, but he's feeling phantom pressure because I, you know, there was a, ser- there was a series. I forget which one it was maybe the fourth series of the game where he was hit, probably hit, not sacked, whatever, probably eight mm-hmm. consecutive plays. And then it comes cool. time for them in the red zone. And then he steps out versus nothing. And he misses a read. And that would have been there for, you know, probably a touchdown. And so, again, like, that's why that stuff's so impactful. And um, and so, yeah, love the blitzes. Loved how the guys executed the blitzes. Love the, the, the line. The line deserves a ton of credit because they rushed very cohesively. Like, there was a play, John Allen sack, actually. Ramontez Sweat kind of goes off script. And the reason I think he goes off script is because John is in a 2-I, which is inside the guard, and Montez is outside the tackle. So in a pass rush, if you're going to run a game, usually John would be outside the guard, and they'd be kind of ready to run the game on the tackle. He's lined up inside the inside the guard, and Montez Sweat just beelines through the tackle's inside shoulder. And John, through all of his awareness, looks up and then just reacts to Montez and is able to catch Lawrence, who's flushing out of the pocket. Like, that is guys who've rushed together. Like, we talked about last year a ton is, like, being on the same page. You can't be more on the same page than that because it looks to me like Sweat's just doing his own thing. John feels it in, like, an instant and says, I need to adjust to this and let's go from a 2-I, which is really tough to do. So, again, like, they just did a great job feeling each other out. You know, Casey Tuhill and um, Wise, Daniel Wise, uh, Deron Payne, they did an excellent job on the other side in terms of rushes and games. Casey had a couple pressures and hits. And yeah, like Casey, I said, like I already Casey showed up. And I already said James did a great job too. So, you know, just they all seem to be on the same page and it paid dividends in terms of pressure, which again, totally helped the back end. Like against a better team, against a better all line. I don't know if we're getting the same production out of this group, but I think that kind of coincides with my vision of this group. I think I think a good, uh, a positive scenario for them 
is finishing in the top 15. You know, like I don't think they're like an amazing defense, if that makes sense. Yeah. The other thing that helps them too is they're up in this game. Like the offense yes. helps them out. Yes. Um, and, and so there were situations where they could just pin their ears back and go. And and obviously late in the game when it's the ultimate kind of situation, that two minute drill, um, after the commanders had taken what would ultimately be the the game winning lead, um, Montez Sweat was a monster on that drive. Just pinned his ears back when at three of the last four plays that he hits Lawrence, including the interception. So it, it's that that is helpful a lot, which also leads to the run defense, which I want to talk about in a second. Yeah, well, and I was just going to say on that last drive, I'm so glad you brought it up. Cam Robinson was so flustered. Like, there was a play where he's getting chip help, I think, from the – it was either the tight end or the running back. And one of the things you can tell a tackle's flustered if they try to jump off of a chip because it's kind of bad technique, right? It's like you, you know the chip's coming, the chip hits, and you're hoping to catch them before they can get back into their rush. And – in a third down situation, that usually doesn't work, right? On first and second down, yes, right? Because the the, the rusher is kind of like, is it run? Am I confused? And to see him trying that technique at that moment of the game, which is like, I got to have it, need a good protection. I know I got chip help. Like, I'm going to set this conservatively like a professional and get this done. Um, and to see him kind of panic like that, I think just speaks to how Montez was just kind of taking him behind the, the woodshed and just beating the crap out of him from a pass rush standpoint. So – didn't get any pressure. Didn't get a lot of statistical production, but man, right. he was stressing he was, him tremendously. Yeah, and a lot of times when Lawrence was flushing out of the pocket, you're like, "Who's chasing him?" Oh, ninety is. Of course he is, because Montez. Right. That I mean, he's such a, a freakish athlete that he can chase just about anyone down and, and make them uh, feel that heat. So the one area where statistically it wasn't super pretty, and they definitely get, got gashed on multiple occasions, was the run game. Um, I know, uh, on a couple of those, it looked like, at least in my eye, uh, looked like Bobby McCain got out of, got out of gap. And that's the thing, like, especially when it's a safety, this is not really a knock on Bobby. I mean, it is within the context of the game, but he's a good football player. Like when it's the safeties out of gap, like that's when you get the 25 yarder, it's a D lineman is out of gap. You, you have two more layers of, of defenders. Uh, that can fill in uh, that was and on try the to make up run of the game, right? First big yeah, run. Yeah, yeah. He got kicked inside, and London said it on on the radio broadcast. At that point, I was still driving home, um, mm-hmm. and I heard London say it. Went back and watched it. I was like, "Yep, there's twenty. That's not good." Um, well, I'll but, say this about that: as, as the game went, like we see, we see multiple guys get out of gap, you know, and sometimes you just get beat. Sometimes you get washed. But what'd you make of the run defense overall? And and you know, you can start obviously with that play. So that play, I think, is really interesting because what they did is they ran a run stunt, which are very effective versus like outside zone teams, gap scheme teams, because basically what happens is you take the, the one of the defensive tackles and you pinch them weak, which picks the backside guard for the other defensive tackle who scrapes over the top and is basically right in the hole. And on that specific play, John is running the pick for Big Phil and they do a great job. But Allen does such a good job that he kind of trips over the tackle who's or the guard who's like falling to the ground. And so technically that's his new gap, right? Is that that gap between the 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 center and the guard. And so he, because he's tripping, kind of falls out of the gap. And Big Phil is scraping to the front side A. And so because John fell, basically, there's a huge hole there. Huge mm-hmm. hole. And again, that's like one of those things that just happens sometimes in games, right? John does a Really nice technique, but again, gets a little tripped up, kind of falls down off balance, running back runs runs right by him. That's his tackle to make for a loss probably if he keeps his feet there, right? And then they're into the secondary. And again, because he's knocked off the guard, the guard's on the linebacker. It just gets really messy because the play is designed for John to make that tackle there. So he doesn't make it. And then obviously people are out of their gaps and stuff, but that's that's part of football and fitting runs. 
Um, the other thing is like there was a couple times where like FA Obata was on the edge. Uh, Manhurst, who in my opinion is one of like the top five, top ten blocking tight ends in the NFL, does a great job securing the edge to get around the corner. Um, and then I think Jacksonville deserves some credit because they do a they did a really good job of kind of throwing in some unique looks in the run game. So like one uh, specifically is when they do like it was like a fake power, like so fake you know pull to the right, and then they or no it was fake jet sweep, jet sweep to the offensive right. And he opens up and then pitches it to the back Etienne uh, who's running to the left kind of outside some blockers. And again, mm-hmm. like people played it pretty good, but again, like that's just a good play by them. And like uh, McCain got caught inside on the down block. Casey chases it down, which is what he's supposed to do. There's nobody scraping over the top. It ends up being like a 15 yard gain, 20 yard gain. And again, that's like a kind of a unique look for the defense to be dealing with on a, on a kind of a game plan specific run. So I, I guarantee you they'll get that corrected. That's something they'll fix. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, I think that's something that'll be better next week. Um, it was really cool for me to see uh, Robinson kind of watch him and just see how good he is as a runner uh, for Jacksonville. Yeah, he did some really, really nice stuff. And then Etienne's a good football player too. So hats off to them. And I think they deserve a lot of credit, but, I think when you look at the aggregate, you know, in terms of when they were effective, it was on a kind of a couple of runs and not every single run. Um, and so I think that that should be kind of kept in perspective. It was kind of like much like the coverage, like sometimes the coverage was bad, people falling down. Um, and that happens in the run game too. guys just get out of our gap. And that's the, one of the challenges of playing this like this eight, this gapped out front, you know, is everyone needs to do their job like all the time. So, yeah, there's not a lot of security behind if one guy gets sure. beat or one guy slips or one guy gets blocked um you're just kind of toast uh, especially yeah. if that guy's the safety and like again it's two plays for mccain um and as you mentioned there, there's the the john allen element in the front of the first one but like those two plays where mccain can probably sure it up for you know it, maybe it's still a seven yard game like you wind up giving up 45 yards of rushing uh because sure. your safety gets blocked and and that's that's the nature of the defense um, what'd you make of the line? Last thing on the defense real quick, uh, Jamin and Cole, um, I yeah. look like they had a, a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, obviously, you know, for Jamin, like he gets away with some stuff, right? Like he, yeah. he gets away with, uh, the, the ball to Etienne on the first drive. Uh, and his day looks very differently. If, if Lawrence completes that, he does it. Um, sure. you know, I think people generally look at, I certainly look at the play where Christian Kurt gets him and I'm like, that's a scheme design issue. I don't put that on Jamin. You sure. can't expect Jamin. To, and by the way, Christian Kirk, he may be worth some of that money. That was a he, good we'll football see. player. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Day week one, right? But yeah, yeah, week one. But like, damn, he he can go. Um, but he gets out there in space on Jamin. Like that's, I mean, Ron even said it to a point after the game. He's like, yeah, Jamin could have done better, but like we probably don't want that matchup. Um, yeah. And so, what'd you make of of their days, uh, both Cole and Jamin? So I think the one kind of issue for Jamin was the touchdown or the the almost touchdown to Etienne, right? He he's he's funny because he's really athletic, but there's times where, you know, I, I think on the Christian Kirk play, then maybe this is a better example. On the Christian Kirk play, like he as near as I can tell, he's got safety help inside, but he's leveraged himself inside of the receiver. And he's, you know, to give him credit, like athletically, like he held up pretty well in that situation against a guy who runs like a four three. You know what I mean? Yeah. For him to kind of shift his hips and change direction and keep those windows pretty small, like good for him. You know what I mean? Like good job. But you could make that better. Is it like specifically the one in the red zone? Leverage yourself outside. If he runs inside, Forrest is right there. Like and use your help. And so like that's one thing Ron said about him 
last year in coverage is like he's tremendously athletic and you see it, but know this, like understand the structure of the defense, understand where your help is, understand where you can funnel people. The, the other was one like in the middle of the field that Kirk cocked the ball. I thought that was kind of tough because there doesn't seem to be any help anywhere for yeah. him. It's just kind of one-on-one that, that most people are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like Kirk gives a lot shake gets back inside and you're like, where is anybody? Yeah, and you're like, and, and again, for Jamin to even make the tackle on that play is, again, for him to run that down make the tackle, like, that's an athletic plus. But again, know what your skill set is, know where your help is. And the other one, on the on the wheel route, right, the running back comes and kind of does like a little pitter-pat, and you can tell he's thinking outbreak. So the second he goes out, he undercuts kind of an out, and then he runs a wheel. And again, that comes with experience, that comes with timing, that comes with an understanding, and I think he'll improve that. But outside of that, and again, like in some ways, the athletic match, the, what he showed athletically against Kirk, like I was actually impressed with. Because people need to understand, like Christian Kirk, he's a freak athlete in terms of short area quickness, right? And for Jamin to even keep it close was good. Again, know where your help is, Jamin, if, that, if one thing we're taking away from this. And then in terms of the run game, I think Jamin did a really nice job of just showing up to the party, right? Fitting his gap, being physical running stuff down, playing with a sense of urgency, which to me, and we've talked about this before, is a huge improvement on what he did last year. So like mm-hmm. that is, like, is Jamin better than last year? 100%. Like, he doesn't even look like the same player sometimes. So that's encouraging. Can he still get better? One, 100%, yes. And I think he will get better as he plays more and as he gets more experience. Ron's been emphatic about that this offseason in terms of he's a guy who just needs to see it. He's not a guy who does well in the classroom he needs it on the field in the walkthrough and that's what these are basically is opportunities for him to improve kind of see how offenses are trying to attack him and his skill set cole i thought did a nice job he kind of had a quiet day you know i think he it just yeah. didn't show up in a lot of tackles just kind of did his, for him yeah just and again like kind of quiet didn't do a ton of stuff and i think that's kind of characterized his preseason and his training camp um and so again something to keep an eye on moving forward is is where is that going again he plays with good energy plays with good physicality and i think he's doing a fine job but it's just about can he start making some some splash plays i guess yeah uh that makes sense um you know and and that should fluctuate and you know he's gonna have to have a big week this coming week we'll we'll get into it more on friday's pod the preview pod uh but that Detroit running game is no jokes. We will certainly dive yeah. into that uh, a lot more, and that will also uh, go into some of the questions that we'll hit next in the mailbag. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Let's hit a few of these questions. Um, this one uh, from Mr. Samuel 75 on Twitter. What's your guys' take on the run game? I thought Gibson had too many people near him in the backfield on his runs. Seemed too crowded. What would you make of the run game, circling back around to the offense? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, too many people near him in the backfield. Um, I, t- I, I tend to think that's like the, the nature of the run game in the NFL. Like Running yeah. running in the NFL is about timing. Like Guys are going to be free. It's or Can you push them in the right way to ultimately create an alley? Uh, that opens at the right time for the back, uh, and then and then you're free, and those guys are in the backfield behind you, and they don't really matter a whole lot. Yeah, so I think like there's one play that comes to mind where they're running out of ten personnel, so two receivers that are split out to both sides. You have a five man blocking surface, and usually what defenses will do is they'll play a six man uh, kind of box in response to that. You know, 
everyone gets a gap. And so in the way offenses that run this run, like in 2022, they keep that as a keep a little zone read action. So that guy is going to run and he's going to, he should pause for a step, but he's going to be pretty close to the back. And the idea is that the back is going to beat that press the two double teams on the interior guys and hit a crease. And one of the double team guys is going to get up to the middle linebacker. And then there's going to be a ton of space. And so when I look at that, when you look at it from the end zone, there is a ton of space and the end plays it pretty good, but Gibson beats the end, which is the whole design of the run and why you get good athletes back there. The combination doesn't quite get to the middle linebacker. So it ends up being a four yard gain instead of a 20 yard gain. And that's how the, the run game works in the NFL. I actually thought they did a decent job of creating seams and creases and kind of getting combinations to the right guy. And I think that's something that, um, that's important. And so on the whole, I think it was very productive. There are some things schematically that I don't like about their run game, just from where I've come from with my run game background with regard to Kyle Shanahan and what he does. But again, they, this is, that's how they execute their stuff here and that's what they do, but there's nothing like glaring in my opinion about what they're doing that is different or worse than um, other teams in the NFL. It's again, you have good defense in the NFL run defense. in The NFL is simply allocating more bodies than you have on the offensive line to block with them. So there's always going to be someone free. It's just about designating who that person is and can the back beat that person. Cause I actually thought and to, to, to this person's point, who's what's her name? What's her name is sway. Uh, whatever. It was Samuel. Mr. Mr. Samuel 75 was the, the Twitter handle. I don't have a, uh, an actual name. I will say that Chase Roulier's ankle appears to still be bothering him. And number 52 for Jacksonville put in a little bit of work on him in certain situations, pass rushing, getting some penetration, but the type of penetration that he's getting up. So this is like, this is getting really nerdy here, but basically on a run to the left, if the center gets his hat to the left side of that nose nose guard and the nose guard blows him four yards into the backfield, that's a win for the center. And the reason I say that is because the second the back, I'm, I'm handing the ball to the back, he should be already past the center. So by doing that, basically the guy's created a vertical seam in the defense and he's out of his gap. So like it might look like there's a lot of penetration there when there is, but technically that guy can't make the tackle and he's opening up space in the context of the defense. So I think that's, <clears throat> that's important. Even though you see penetration, if they're penetrating to the wrong side of the offensive player, they're actually creating a crease, which from right. the end zone you see very dramatically. And from the sideline, you don't see, cause it's all kind of muddy and weird looking. Right. And that's one of the things that um, when he used to watch tape with Portis, sometimes like he would always point out, he'd be like, look where, the, look where the hat is. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's one of the things that running backs read is like, which side of the defender is the helmet on? Cause I'm going to go the other way because you know, and that good defensive tackles, by the way, know that and they'll wrong side their hat on purpose, knowing their bodies on the right side, they'll put their hat on the left and then make the running back run right to him. So like there's, there's a lot of cat and mouse games. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, unless you kind of know some of the nuance that you might not might not understand um, because you can't like unless you've been playing at, at that level or you've covered it at that level and been able to have the chance. Like I have to talk to people like you talk to people like Clinton Portis, talk to people, you know, play the game. You're, you just don't know, you know, that kind of stuff from watching the TV copy. It's the nature of of this very silly, complex game. That we spend that's a really good question, talking, by the way. Great question, because uh, uh, it, it might appear yeah. that way on, on the TV copy for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, let's try to get two more in real 
quick. Um, both on the defensive side. One uh, from Colin. When Curl returns, do you anticipate more 416 dime looks with Forrest, St. Juice, Curl, and McCain all on the field at the same time in pass situations, which takes down Jamin's coverage snaps? Similarly, how do you manage the safety snap distribution in your your base? Uh, of course, their base is a nickel. So that 425. What do you do when Cam Curl's back, seeing how well Derek Forrest played? Again, another great question. Um, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I think you probably <laughs> think about good problem probably, to have. Yeah, you probably think about doing that. And I think people are going to be hating on Jamin for a couple of days, but I I don't think he played I, I don't think he played great, but I don't think he played bad. And I think he played better in this game than he did for 90% Most of the of games last year. Last year. Yeah. yeah. And so I think he deserves to be on the field more. We already talked about what he did as a blitzer. He did some good stuff in coverage. Again, the athleticism's there. It's just the kind of getting in the CPU, you know, getting all those different looks into his brain and making sure he can execute those. So, um, but I do think, you know, there's some information about Forrest. One of the things about Forrest that they said is that he's not really suited to play like a Buffalo role, like at least right now. He doesn't mm -hmm. like, he doesn't maybe like, he doesn't feel comfortable, I guess is the way to word that, with yeah. stuff right at the line of scrimmage. He likes to be from depth. He's more effective there. So if you were going to do right. something like that, Cam Crow would probably play the Buffalo role, but it kind of seems to me like they're almost trying to phase him out of that role a little bit because Percy Butler, I don't know if you guys noticed this, he took every single Buffalo nickel snap or big nickel snap. So anytime they're in base and the commanders match a nickel, Percy's in the game, even when, you know, uh, McCain and Forrest were both healthy, like he's in that, that's his position, that's his role so that Benjamin St. Juice doesn't have to do that. So they're, they're starting to kind of define roles here for the defense a little bit better. And I would say, you know, I think the, the logical thing would be say, hey, oh, we'll have Forrest play Buffalo, right? And then have Cam play post and then kind of revert Percy to that more special teams role as of right now. I think he's going to grow into something more within the context of the defense, but they don't feel comfortable. If he doesn't feel comfortable, then I think you got to rework that. Then it becomes, does he play post? Does Cam play right. at the Buffalo? Are you rotating? Are you subbing? And that, I think, was confusing for Cam in terms of some of the coverage busts that he was having in practice and in preseason. So, I don't know. I, I, it'll be interesting to see what the coaching staff does there. And um, I think it's a, it is a good problem to have, but you, I think it's important to know that those pieces and those players are not interchangeable the way that you might think just because they play the same position. Right. And just because they have, like, it makes so much sense that Force would be like a, the perfect Buffalo nickel player based off right. of his size, based off his physicality. But like, if you're used to seeing things from 15 yards, 12 yards, 10 yards back, and now you're asking to do it from four off the line of scrimmage, like that's a complete, you're playing linebacker. Yeah. And, and so to, to have that ability in the box mentally to see it with the speed you need to, to have kind of the feel of the field when you've played your entire life in a different position, like it's not that easy, especially to make that adjustment at the NFL level. So I love that point. And I'm, I'm, that's great insight on kind of what they're thinking and, and why Butler maybe is more uh, suited there when it seems like from a skill set standpoint, physically, like you'd want the fast guy in the post, but it, it's a lot right. more than, than that. Uh, the last question that will go, basically all the rest of the questions, except for the one I'm about to read are about Detroit's run game and, and fear uh, after we're seeing Jacksonville oh, yeah. we'll able to get on, some big we'll games in Detroit. But yeah, that's coming on Friday's show. Uh, but this one uh, from at Ron's underscore commanders. How long will it take for Del Rio to make adjustments to covering the slot receiver and blitzing the quarterback? Follow-up question, how long should we, fans, put up with him playing our players out of position? A uh, little of a loaded question. I think there is some things worthy of discussion in there, like 
slot receivers have been troublesome for this team uh, over mm -hmm. the Del Rio era. Um, you know, we talk about the play where Davis is lined up on basically in, in isolation on Christian Kirk, and that's not ideal. But the one thing I would say uh, before it lets you go in, into a little more depth is like, if you look around the league, these things happen. Like slot receivers are getting a ton of catches in the league. Slot, you know, good offensive coordinators are creating good matchups by using personnel. Like you can't give Scott Turner credit for being able to do it and think he's the only one that's ever going to be able to do it. Like this is kind of the league and, and how you mix and match personnel. And so are there issues that could be cleaned up? Yes. But to pretend like you watch Sunday's game and go, Del Rio doesn't have any idea what he's doing on anything, especially if, if you think like the blitz package was bad. Like you, we were watching different games or at least watching the game with very different understandings of what was happening. That's a fantastic point. Just, <clears throat> just about slot receivers in general. Love that. I mean, that's why Cooper cup, you know, had the triple crown last year. One of the reasons, right. That's why Justin Jefferson's going to have a huge year this year. Being in the slot becomes problematic for defenses. Like that's just a fact of life. And we already talked about some of the things that Jamin could do better to put himself in a better situation. Cause I don't, I athletically, when I watch him, you know, like obviously the move and then he's like rallying to cover, like the rallying to cover part, the athleticism's there. He just needs to put himself in a little bit better spot. And also they're playing kind of a, they are playing zone in those situations, but it's a zone match. So it kind of feels like, man, and maybe the play call there could be a little bit different. Maybe they could run some type of bracket. Again, they ha they probably have something, honestly, in the offense already. They're going to be facing a very good slot uh, kind of move receiver in uh, Brown this week for for the Detroit Lions. Equinemius, that's his brother. Uh, no, no, that's his brother. Yeah, he plays yeah. in Chicago. It's uh, Amon Ra St. Brown. Amon Ra, great names there. Holy cow, their parents were yeah. on their you know, stuff. You know that his game. dad was Mr. Universe, right? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, their dad was Mr. Universe. Uh, he's you got to watch Hard Knocks, bro. Uh, that's your that's your film study this week is to watch Hard Knocks on the Lions because that's uh that was a great season. You're also gonna love Dan. I mean, it's your tight end brethren, Dan Campbell. Dude, I'm not even kidding you. I've had multiple guys who've coached us both say like you are Dan Campbell. You're like you're like very similar in terms of how you think about things. I think I'm a little bit more chill after watching a little bit of Dan. But, yeah. um, you know, kind of like football, like I think like the, the big kind of unathletic white dude comparison, you know, maybe brings it closer together. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, to, to get back to the question, we got sidetracked. Yeah, I think they probably have something in that's better for that slot receiver. Um, and it shouldn't be hard, but slot receivers, good athletic backs out of the backfield, they are problematic because defenses aren't really designed to have good coverage players close to the football, because if you put. Like, that's one thing. Look at Benjamin St. Juice, right? They actually have to rotate him out on rundowns because they're worried about him fitting runs. So let's just say, like, right. we want better if we want better coverage players on the field, they got to be ready to tackle, you know, you, you, the Detroit run game. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So you got to yeah. walk this kind of razor's edge here in terms of how you're going to be effective in those situations. And that's why, that's why honestly, one of the re one of many reasons why playing defense in the NFL in 2022 sucks. It sucks. It's so <laughs> reactive. Because I like honestly, I could come out. I can come out in 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 twenty uh, in twenty two personnel. I could move to empty, and all of a sudden, you got a mat like with this team. You got a matchup with Gibson. You got a matchup with McKissick in the slot with a linebacker, I, and it's the same matchup as what you'd get from Christian Kirk against another team. Like that's just NFL 
suckiness playing defense. And I think that's something for fans to kind of keep in perspective. They'll do things differently. Jamin will learn the technique a little bit better. Jack will probably call something different in the future. Situational dependent, that's also a big factor, is the situation that those things are happening in. But again, like it's tough. It's tough to, to, yeah, to be successful. It's why, it's why like Brandon Staley loves having Jalen Ramsey or Derwin James or like these really special, especially defensive backs who are big and physical and can play the run because they point. allow you to match personnel without having to try to figure out which guy's there. Because like what you're looking at is partial skill sets. Like Benjamin St. Juice is a better cover player, but he's not as good against the run. Then you right. flip him out for Jamin Davis, who is going to be better against the run because he's a linebacker, but is not as good in coverage. Or you're right. playing Cam Curl, who's some combination of the both, both, but then you're taking Curl away from being in his best spot and you're also putting more on his plate. Like, it's not easy. It's why, right. by the way, Landon Collins was such a luxury for them sure. last year because Landon could actually do all that stuff at a pretty high level and was best suited there. It, you know, what we did have a question to come in of like, would Landon Collins be an upgrade? And like, purely from a football playing standpoint, yeah, I think he would be because like, to be, he's the perfect to be Buffalo fair. nickel. But they're like, I think better off in the long term. They are they are good with the personnel they have and continuing to grow that. Like it is week one, year two for Jamin Davis. Allowing yeah. Jamin to grow, especially against the Jacksonvilles and Detroits of the world, is the best long-term strategy versus always looking for like who is the best player right now that will ultimately fade off and not be as good as the guy that if you allow him to grow will continue to rise. Sure. And also I think it's important to point out, like, I don't think Landon is going to win that matchup either. You know, if you right. say Landon, yeah. go play one on one, or Kirk. yeah, yeah, like I, you're not going to win that, right? Even Benjamin St. Juice in the slot, and the reason this is tough for this guy who asked this question is because that receiver doesn't have the same route tree as a receiver from the outside. They can literally go in any direction they want, right? If I'm good, if I'm a good OC, I can tell the receiver on the outside to plus floor your split, get really wide out there. I can put a three by one away, and you are literally one on one with a player with probably 20 yards of grass right there in the middle of the field, right? Over the ball, it's a quick throw. The ball can get out quick. The quarterback can see it. He can break out. And that is one of the reasons why that's so tough. So like for coverage players, unless you know where your help is and then how to funnel that player to your help, you're going to get diced. And you see good slot guys dice zone coverage really well too because they understand how to create space to, to win inside and beat the, beat the leverage player. So it's just a tough deal, man. And like that's why... Curtis Samuel's valuable for this team. That's why McKissick's valuable for this team. That's why even Logan Thomas is valuable for this team because they can win in that inside matchup versus a linebacker versus a safety. And think about all the good teams in the NFL. They all have a player like that who can do that. So, again, keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, we will get into the specific Detroit preview coming up on Friday's show. Again, the new schedule. We will have post-game reaction out Monday morning. Uh, this version of this show, kind of the film review, if you will, out on Wednesday morning and then Friday morning game preview. You got all day Friday, all day Saturday and until 10 a.m. on Sunday to listen, because at 10 a.m. you have to be live on the radio for countdown to kickoff. Uh, I mean, really by 8 a.m. You should listen to it on Saturday because Earl Forsey starts at 8 and we have respect <laughs> for Earl Forsey, the legend. You better be listening starting at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. Simulcast 106.7 The Fan. And the team, not Andy. Yes, uh, Mr. Paulson in the in the front of the classroom. Thank you. Also, these questions were great. So if you guys have more questions leading into the Detroit game, let's bring those again. These were fantastic because they helped me think about football differently, and they're they're awesome. So just keep them coming. Yeah, you can hit Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. You can hit me at Hoffman Show on Twitter. All right, 
Uh, again, we'll see you Friday morning. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Odyssey app, wherever it is that you get your pods. Make sure that you subscribe. Uh, I'll see you all on the radio uh, between now and then, and uh, we'll see you on Friday morning for taking.